The Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I'll smite the shepherd, sheep shall be scattered, but after that I am risen, I'll go before you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. They came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here, while I shall pray. We look here at the final couple of chapters of the book of Mark. These are all passages we're very familiar with. And we're looking at the last hours now in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he makes a very interesting statement, verse 27. All ye shall be offended. All, let's say that together. All ye shall be offended. This was not the French group. This was not... Uh, those that uh, kind of were sort of in uh, uh, to following the Lord Jesus Christ, a toe in the water, uh, the semi-dedicated. These are 11 of the most dedicated Christians on the planet. And he said, all ye should be offended. And I want to preach about that tonight, offended. Because there's a lot of offense floating around in Christian circles today. Uh, people literally looking. We have a culture and a society and a world that is teaching us the pleasure and almost it's morally superior to live a life of offense and to find a way to be a victim. And in order to be a victim, uh, you've got to be offended. I feel for those with a sense of humor. Humor is always at someone's expense. And now you just can't laugh out loud. You can't tell a blonde joke, can't tell a Polak joke. Can't tell a joke with any nationality involved. Can't tell a fat joke, can't tell a skinny joke, can't tell a poor joke. Uh -uh. Any humor in life is at someone's expense or someone's expense. And as a Christian, you shouldn't be walking around with your feelings just waiting to be hurt. I don't believe we should be rude or mean or cruel or attacking. We do understand that. But I see this as time progresses. Pastoring is becoming more and more complicated and watching more and more pulpits become vacated. Where I go, preachers talk about... uh, Churches without a pastor. I have talked to mission boards. I had someone tell me recently one mission board had 60 pulpits they were trying to fill. I was in a state recently, and the pastor said, I know 33 churches in this state, independent Baptist, looking for pastors. And the biggest reason for that is because people are living offended, and pastors are tired of dealing with the offended. Now, around here, I don't pastor the offended. The offended leave. (laughs) Amen. I wish everyone here was unoffendable. I thank God for a dad that taught me not to be offended, not to live offended. I can't imagine in leadership someone that uh, didn't have some of those traits. 
And as a church, we have to understand that you all have an excuse every day if you have pride and if you live a life that does not include a love for this book, a little bit of self-denial, you'll be heard every single day. You'll have a reason to be upset or be offended with someone. And as Christians, that's not the way we should live. Now, here's the problem with offense. Ultimately, as a Christian, it'll lead to someone being offended with God. And here's what's astounding about this passage. You see these men who had worked for three and a half years in very difficult, trying circumstances. When you're tired and you're sick and you're sick of being tired and you're tired of being sick, you easily emotionally can find yourself in a valley. And during that kind of stress, you can get offended. And they hadn't. They had risen above the offense because so many had come, followed Christ, gotten offended and left. And literally at this point in his ministry, the group of followers has been whittled down to a few dozen. And he looks at them and says, tonight, every one of you will be offended. Now, hold on for a second. Not offended in general, but offended with Christ. Now, here's what we understand. As uh, people that are occupied with evangelism, people get offended with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you do at your company, your school, uh, your, bio, your college, wherever you're at. If you bring in a Bible and you carry it and it says Holy Bible. You, matter of fact, it doesn't even have to say Holy Bible. Just a leather book like this. People can identify it. They're offended by the fact that you hold one, have one, read one, believe one. The fact that you're a Christian. That's why people stop telling people that they're uh, a Bible-believing Christian. Or they're a Baptist. That alone is offensive to some. And uh, I, I just find out uh, more and more with time, it's not the world. Regrettably, we understand that, but Baptists, Christians, Bible believers are almost looking for reasons to be offended, to be hurt. And you're not going to last long. You're simply not going to last long as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ with that kind of mentality, with that kind of spiritual weakness. Amen? But here's what's worse. We're not talking about general offense, which shouldn't happen. I don't want to go that direction tonight. I want to be a little more specific biblically because we're talking about offense against God. Now, I want to mention tonight four main ways that people get offended with God. Let's go to Matthew 11, one that we have mentioned in the past. Number one, people get offended with God when they suffer on some level and God doesn't deliver them from that suffering, from that hurt, from that pain, whatever it may be. Look what it says, Matthew 11, John, the greatest born of women. It says, getting to pass when Jesus made an end of the commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard Where was he? In the prison. You ought to circle in this verse one word, in. In the prison, the works of Christ, he sent to his disciples. He said unto them, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now this is quite the verse because this is the man that came to prepare the way of the Lord. He had preached Christ as the Lamb of God. He had said, I must decrease, he must increase. He had 
He had watched his ministry diminish to the point where his followers had all forsaken him and followed Christ. And now he finds himself in prison and doubt begins to cloud his mind. Now, here's the problem. Doubt is not being offended with God, but doubt leads us to becoming offended with God. Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to play with your mind. And he wants you to doubt the goodness of God. The way he does this is by normal things that happen in life to both the just and the unjust. It may be sickness. It may be financial stress. It may be a car accident. It may be through a lawsuit. It may be health issue. Whatever it is, we find ourselves in the middle of a hard, hurtful, stressful situation. We crowd to God for deliverance, and then it becomes apparently clear that God has no intention of solving our problem, at least not the way we desire to be solved. Because we don't see God's plan, God's thought, God's purpose, or the destination he has for us. Our natural response is to get offended with God. So doubt is not something that should linger in our hearts and minds. We have to address the doubt and say, God is sovereign. God knows what he is doing. And here, John. Now, if John could doubt, then God had a message for him. Because what we don't see is the offense. We see the doubt leading to the offense. Look what it says. Verse 3. So the question is asked. The disciples of John come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They find him. We have a message from John. Are you really the Christ? Or did he misspeak? Now, if anyone should have been offended in this case, it should have been the Lord Jesus Christ. John, I trusted you. You, you preached my coming, and now you're asking if I'm really the Messiah? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and show John again those things which you do here, and... See, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the gospel preach to them. Now he answers the question indirectly, which many times God does when we ask a question. The problem is we try to manipulate God through prayer to do our will, and God says prayer is not about manipulation of the Almighty, it's about getting his mindset into your mindset, that's the purpose of prayer. So in this conversation, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, John, I want to rearrange your perspective, not free you from prison. Now, did Christ have the power to do that? Did Christ have the ability to speak the word? He could have done anything within his desire, and in an instant solved John's problem, his earthly problem. Now, he did solve John's problem in an instant. His head rolled off and his soul went to heaven. And the next thing you know, he had a perfect body and an amazing life. That's not the way we want our problems solved. All of you are looking at me strangely. Pastor, what kind of sermon is this? It's one to get us to understand uh, 
Our offense begins with doubting God when suffering takes place in our life. Any suffering. Look what it says in verse 6. So what's the message to John? Blessed is he whosoever should not be offended in me. Now here's the problem. Put yourself in John's shoes. So he's waiting to hear back, are you the Messiah? The messengers come back. And what did Christ say? The dead are raised. And the sick are healed. And the possessed have the demons cast out. And what's my miracle? I'm not demon possessed and I'm not dead. I'm not blind. I just want free. So the good news for the day. Oh, your part of the letter goes like this. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. How many of you have ever prayed and you asked God to do something, you waited for a response, and the response was this. Blessed is he who is not offended in me because what I'm doing, am doing, desire to do, or leaving you to suffer. But God, I want delivered from this. I had someone this past week. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm praying for the rapture. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think I understand how you're doing. It puts everything into perspective. I think John the Baptist was praying for the rapture. Amen. There there are things in life that if we're not careful, begin to lead us to doubt the sovereignty of God as if he didn't know, as if he didn't love, as if he didn't care. And uh, in that case, Believe it or not, Christians, we're, we are talking about the number one devastating sin in the lives of long-lasting Christians in churches is offense. It's either offense against man or offense against God. And if he can't get you offended with your fellow man, Satan will allow something uh, to happen in your life and God sees a purpose in it and when a prayer is made for God to reverse the circumstance and nothing is done. Uh, yes, sir. Now that's what God, all the disciples, a little bit of suffering or the potential of suffering. And Christ looked at every one of them and said, tonight all of you will be offended. You know why? Because I'm going to allow something to happen that you don't understand. I'm going to be arrested You potentially are going to have your lives endangered. And everyone, because of that, is going to get offended. And Peter swore upside down, inside out. Not me. And guess what? If I went around this room and asked you this year, 2023 coming up, are you you going to allow yourself to be offended with God? Everyone in here would tell me, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. And they would say it as vehemently as Peter did. But be careful. Romans 8, we got to pray, oh God, help us. Help us to live a life free of offense. Romans 8, look what it says, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword. That's a pretty nasty list, isn't it? Distress. It takes a lot to distress me. Persecution? Famine? I've never suffered any of that. 
peril or sword as it is written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Wow, I'm thankful I'm not in this category yet. Aren't we pretty thankful? Whatever life you live, Christian life you live, it hasn't, it hasn't fallen into any of these categories. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. There are a lot of people around the world that have found themselves in these circumstances. Now, here's the next verse and the next phrase that we don't like. Ne'ia, what's it say? In. What a nasty, nasty verse. Wouldn't it be much nicer if it said, aside from all these things, apart from all these things, away from all these things, so far from all these things, having never to suffer all these things, in the middle of all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. And here's where offense starts. We find ourselves in. And guess what? Every child of God in the Bible that we see as a hero God did not deliver them from, he delivered them in. He did not deliver them from the Red Sea, Israel and Moses when they arrived. He delivered them in the midst. He did not deliver the three Hebrews from the fire. He delivered them in the fire. He did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered him in the lion's den. He did not deliver the apostles from jail. He delivered them in jail. Are you getting the difference? The offense starts when we say, God, would you deliver me from? God, here's what I'd like. A life with no financial stress, no marital hardship, children that are perfect, health without a problem, and at 72 in my sleep, I want to rejoice on the other side of glory. God says, I've heard that a lot. Have you ever heard of planet Earth? (laughs) And we think simply because we're Christians, we picked up this Pentecostal philosophy that I should be the one out of 8 billion people that should not have to suffer. I mean, I'm the premier child of God. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Now let me ask you this. So John the Baptist, boy, he's... Dedicated, committed, locusts and honey. I don't know if I could do that. And God cut his ministry short. You're, you're talking about the greatest born of women. You'd think he'd have a 40-year ministry, an amazing church, and at least a tabernacle to celebrate in. But no, he's out there in the wilderness just for a matter of months and then watches his crowds dissipate. And he finds himself in prison because a crazy lady gets mad when he talks about the sin of adultery. Now tell me how in the world God would allow that to happen to such a great man that's committed, spirit-filled, living a principled life. Shouldn't it be some heathen that gets decapitated and not God's man? Look what it says, Matthew 24, verse 9. Then should they deliver you up to be afflicted. That's nice. Jubilational saints. Aren't you glad you're not going to be one of those? You know what? You want to be a pre-trib saint. But whatever the case, leading up to that day, things might get a little tense. They shall kill you. You should be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then should be many what? 
offended. Uh, offended because someone betrays you would be natural response. But here's the offense. God is allowing something in the life of the Christian is not expected. Instead of delivering them, he allows them to suffer. And doubt leads to offense. Look what it says. Chapter 13 of Matthew. Verse 20. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heard the word, and Annan with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not rooted himself, but dureth for a while, while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is. This the Christian gets saved, begins to grow, and, and realizes the whole world is not in favor of growing Christians. Family is, a, is upset. Friends are upset. A boss is upset. The town has turned. The tide has turned. Amen? People at school are not happy to find out you're a Christian. Are you guys with me tonight? Church, I just, I just want to say beware leading into the future. We have lived without much suffering. We have lived without much persecution. Uh, you just look at Cap City as a whole. We have had a very healthy church. We've had a wealthy church. We've had a blessed church. We've had good marriages. We've had our kids, for the most part, stay straight. I mean, what, what more would we want in our favor? But be careful when persecution arises or problems arise or something happens that we don't understand. Uh, our natural tendency is to pray and say, God, I need deliverance from this. I need a solution to this. I need a miracle in my life. And if he doesn't, the temptation will be to do exactly what the disciples did and to get offended. I want you to pray for your pastor. That as things change in my life down the road, I won't be offended with God. I pray for you that you won't be Offended with God. Goes me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's look at the second reason. Very similar to the first, but I believe still necessary to be its own individual point. People get offended when God doesn't give them exactly what they desire or when He doesn't meet their specific expectations. 1 Kings 19. Who are we talking about here? Elijah, do you, you realize in the Bible, we're looking at God's finest? Okay, when we talk about God's servants, Old Testament, New Testament, you couldn't find two finer men than John the Baptist and Elijah. But guess what we're going to find? Two men that find themselves falling in the trap of offense. And the disciples, well, we're looking at the best of God's servants. Look what it says, 1 Kings 19. Now, what is the context of 1 Kings 19? Prophets of Baal have been destroyed. Fire has fallen from heaven. Any Baptist preacher would love to have this one day in their ministry. I won't tell you which eight or 900 people that I want there. But fire falls. 1 Kings, I told you, people get offended. You can't say everything perfectly. Someone... Someone's going to get offended by that and read evil into it. 
1 Kings 19, look what it says, verse 4. But he, Elijah, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now we've spoken about this. Juniper trees are terrible trees to try to sleep under because the branches started about a foot up on the tree. So you've got to be pretty low to find yourself under a juniper tree. This is not a place you're sitting. This is a place that you've crawled to to die. Yeah, don't put on your face like you're innocent because you had a bed that you crawled to and that was your juniper tree. It was much more comfortable than the juniper a day's journey in the wilderness. But you had the same spirit and the same thought process and you were trying to swallow the box of chocolate that you had just eaten or the (laughs) quart of ice cream to kill your grief. Amen? He had no chocolate ice cream to down, but he had a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life. Just kill me. Verse 9, he came thither into a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? I'm pouting. That's what he said in his thought, but not in his words. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars, slain thine prophets with the sword. And I, I can't even muster up the tone. Even I, only he said, a little weepy. I'm left and they seek my life to take it away. I thought you said you wanted to die and why are you trying to protect? Why you, you want to talk about Bipolar. And now, you know what made him bipolar? He was offended with God. God, I I thought you were going to let me see revival. God, I I thought things were going to happen differently. God, the whole nation stood up there on that hill and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And now they've all gone back to their idols. What happened to the revival? Guess what happens? We get offended with God. God, I've worked so hard with this Sunday school class. God, I've invested so much in this bus route. God, I've witnessed my boss so many times. God, I've put so much prayer into this child. God, I've tried and I've struggled and I've worked. And what do I have? My health is hurting and my mind is shot. My body's weak. I was supposed to be a Christian superstar. And I'm just a shooting star. Five seconds of brilliance, and that's it. And here he is. He's offended. You know why he's under this tree? Offense will lead to depression. He's offended with God. God, you didn't do things the way I had orchestrated them. And God, I kind of gave you a list of things to do in the nation of Israel, and you only went halfway through the list. The the fire, that's what we asked for, and the revival, and the Lord, he is God. But what about points 8, 9, and 10? You know what we do in our life? We literally have expectations on what God is supposed to do in our lives and through our lives and with our lives. And when he doesn't. Amen. Amen. 
I mean, the, the best of intentions. I've had weeks of prayer and fasting and, and thinking God was going to do something special on Sunday. And guess what happened? Not even Uriah walked the aisle, and he always walks the aisle. <laughs> Nothing. You know what you can do? You can walk out of church depressed. I talk to preachers. I'll tell you what. There are literally thousands of preachers on Sunday night find themselves in a cesspool of depression. It's doubt that will lead them to offense if they don't pick themselves up and say, I cannot give a list to God with my expectations. And when he fails to meet those expectations, I get angry. That's what happened with the disciples. When he said, all of you be offended with me tonight, why? You are our Messiah. You are our king. You're supposed to establish an earthly kingdom. This is what you're supposed to do. Don't forget the plan. It does not include arrest. It doesn't include betrayal. It doesn't include death. It doesn't include a beating. It doesn't include a crown of thorns. And if not, there's offense. And number three, go with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 7. People get offended with God when they're rebuked for wrongdoing, when they're confronted by the word of God. So number one, what happens? How do we get offended? When we suffer and God doesn't intervene on our behalf. Number two, when God doesn't meet our expectations or give us exactly what we desire, even if they're spiritual desires. But number three, now this is very common when people actually get confronted. And this white pastors have become non-confrontational. I determined a long time ago, I will not ordain another non-confrontational person into the ministry. Look what it says in Matthew verse, chapter 15, verse 7. Ye hypocrites. That's confrontational. Amen. Well did Isaiah prophesy you saying that people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's pretty direct preaching. In vain do they worship me, teach for doctrines and commandments of men. That's pretty confrontational. He called the multitude, and he said to them, Hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth, defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said to him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? No kidding! Anybody that was in this crowd would have been offended by this kind of direct confrontation. God help us. When we want to live our lives, Pastor, we want you to be biblical. But when we do something that is unbiblical, please don't confront us with the Bible. You know why most people don't seek counsel from the pastor? If we have a pastor who is loving and doting and ignores sins and never refers to Bible principle, he's the one I want to seek counsel from. Church, I have a spiritual, biblical obligation. My position demands 
that I glue myself to the Word of God when it's pleasant or unpleasant. The only advice that God allows me to give is advice that comes from this book. So usually, before you ever get the advice, you know what the advice will be. Because you've been around God's Word long enough, maybe there's a ray of hope the pastor will have a moment of dementia and forget what the Scripture says. And here's what Jesus did. He was not deviating from the Bible. He's, he's quoting eternal scripture because anything he says is eternal scripture. And he's confronting this group and obviously they're offended. And Christ's response to the disciples about the Pharisees being offended was, Oh my, oh goodness, I didn't know it was that offensive. Let me go apologize to these boys. That is not what he did. He said that message was meant to offend. That message was meant to be blunt. That message was meant to be direct. Now, you know how to change that? You know how not to get offended? Get in love with God's word. Great peace have they which love thy. And nothing. You love God's word. This word in the confrontation of God's word is not going to be offensive to you. It's going to be a blessing. Look what it says in John 6. John 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Wow. Now, if you're not spiritually minded, that's going to fall heavy. It almost sounds like someone's preaching cannibalism. Whoso eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. Now, we know what Christ was speaking about, but can you imagine those in the congregation that were hearing these words preached? Now, look at the way they responded. Verse 60, many therefore his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his who? Once again, not the French crowd, but his Hardline followers, his disciples, murmured. How many of you understand the word in the meaning of murmuring? To complain against, to speak against. When they murmured at it, he said to them, Doth this offend you? Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So obviously it offended a lot of people. This message Shrunk the crowd. Now, go with me to Hebrews 13 for just a moment. Because there are a lot of people get offended with anybody that confronts sin. Pastors have found ways to be non-confrontational. Today we have some of the greatest preachers. I, excuse me, I just misspoke. Not great preacher. Greatest teacher speaking of information of any generation. Now, 2,000 years after the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, many books have been written, uh, sermons have been preached. There is now at the computer with the touch of a button. Uh, you can pull up so many notes and background information on any text. Any preacher ought to be 
a wealth of wisdom and information concerning a text, making sure that text was within the context. But here's what preachers have done. They've started preaching information instead of preaching truth because their whole goal when societies become this, easily offended. The entire goal is to escape a service without offending someone. So you want to talk about generalized preaching. I mean, if you get offended in the average church in 2022, you're as soft as an overripe tomato. I mean, I, I don't even know. I like old-time, hard-line, confrontational. You know why I pastor two churches? Because I have one that I can preach unfiltered in and the other one that I can't. And you know which one you are. I started a Spanish church because I can go unfiltered. Our white crowd is a little more sensitive to the sun. S-O-N. The sun. The sun of God which shines brightly from the word of God. Amen. And here's what happens in life. Anybody gets direct and begins to mention specific. Oh, we can mention sin in general. Do right, live godly. Yeah, then you get to decipher what doing right and living godly is. But if you speak about specific sins that God mentions in this book, uh, this law that was just passed this weekend, what, whatever, however they state these laws, it's the opposite of what they, our society is a world of lies. Our government is a government of lies and deceit. Or protection of marriage act, nothing could be a greater lie. Uh, Basically, while they say we're protecting interracial marriage and homosexual marriage, it's saying we're going to equate the opposition to homosexuality as being biased and racist is if you are opposing interracial marriage. And here's what they will soon do. They will move it from a category of racism to illegal, unlawful behavior to oppose a male marrying a male, whatever the pronoun is, whatever the category is. And if you stand up on the word of God and you say, amen, A woman is God's plan forever, unchangeable. You're in trouble because you just offended. Millions of people from 100 plus nations. Amen. That's why you better grow backbone. You better grow quick. Now, church, here's what happens. When a preacher preaches the word of God. Look what it said in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. Oh, boy. This is is an abominable text to the majority of even Christians. They watch for your souls as they that what? 
you know in leadership, you're going to give an account. I don't care how you twist the Bible. You are going to give an account to God for your leadership. You may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable. You're supposed to obey them. Submit yourselves for they watch your souls. That's unprofitable for you. And you say, Pastor, isn't it unprofitable for the preacher? Oh, yeah, that too. But at the end of the day, I don't live your life and I don't pay your consequences. I'm pained by it. I may weep for a moment or a week or a time. But at the end of the day, it's your peace, it's your joy, it's your life, it's your health, it's your children, it's your marriage, it's your consequence. But here's what we do. I want a Bible preacher. I want a Bible-believing preacher. I want someone that has glued themselves to the Word of God. And then when you get one, I'll get offended when he glues himself to the Word of God and it goes against my pre-established opinion. It's not offense with this man. That's why I don't get worried about it and I don't get offended by it. It's offense against God. I didn't write this book. I just preach it. It's offense against God. Number four, Mark 6, verse 1. People get offended with God when they suffer and God doesn't deliver them or come to their aid as they see fit. People get offended with God when he doesn't give them their desires and meet their expectations. People get offended with God when they're rebuked by the word of God for wrongdoing. And lastly, people get offended with God when he tends to be way too good to others. It's despicable. Mark 6 and he went out from thence and came to his own country. His disciples followed. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, For whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were what? No, we know Joseph, and we know Mary, and they're simple people. And these people are carpenters, and there's no way his son, this family, no, God did not smile on them this way. And this just can't be the hand, the blessing, the touch of God. One of the best things Dad did for me in a conversation he had with me years ago We were driving back from a meeting and talking about uh, preachers and churches and marveling at the grace of God, hand of God. Then I made a very youthful, foolish mistake. We were talking about a preacher that I was not going to badmouth, not speak evil of, but I struggled to find why God would bless this specific man in ministry. I saw nothing special in anything he was doing. I shouldn't say special. I would look in my youthful way at someone that was subpar in most everything he did. And then I asked Dad, Dad, why would God bless that man, that ministry, that way? And Dad about wrecked the car. (laughs) Have you ever been in one of those conversations with your previous pastor, Hank Thompson? He had buttons that if they were pushed, were best not pushed while driving a vehicle. 
All I know during that conversation was about 15 times I said, Dad, the road, Dad, the car, Dad, keep us out of the trees. Dad, don't kill us. If you'd ever met my father, he'd been through a house fire as a child, and this side of his hand, the fingers were burned off, and they were just little nubs and stubs that were left. And those could basically break sternums when forcefully applied to the chest. And he was in that mode of, Adam, you don't decide who God blesses, who God touches, who God favors. That is up to him and him alone. And for you to ever question or doubt God is blasphemous. He said, you ought to repent right now in your seat before you get us both killed. You think my driving is dangerous? Your spirit is dangerous. I don't want a child that will sit in my car and question the goodness of God to another man. I became a lemonade factory. He scared the bejeebers out of me. But he fixed the spiritual problem. You know what I said? I will never again in my lifetime question God's goodness on another man in another ministry. That's up to him. And here's what happens. Be careful. When you're driving a 20-year-old vehicle serving God and someone who can barely make it to a service a week pulls up in a $70,000 truck and you park next to them, He doesn't even go sowing to God. I don't even know if he ties. I guarantee he's driving his missions. Be careful. We get offended with God because he tends to bless people that we can't understand why and how. And Lord, I just want you to know, when it comes to qualifications, I'm overly qualified for your blessing. If there's anybody here that should have a little bit extra in their bank account and ought to be enjoying good health, then I have dedicated my life and my wife for your service. So God, please, just a smile. My car's broke down again. And I complained about my flat tire, but it needed replaced anyways, but I don't even have money to replace it. And I'm your servant. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Church, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves. And cigarettes are not temptation, and drugs are not a temptation, and gossip is only a, an occasional temptation. <laughs> but Lord, I, I think I'm nearing uh, spiritual perfection. Careful, because, because he, Satan says... Some of the best, some of the best have fallen into the trap. The best in this book were right there, either falling or up to the very edge. And the trap that they fell into was the same spiritual condition and sin, which was offense against God. And look what it says, John 16, we're done. John 16, 1. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not, now you say, what things did he speak? Read chapter 14 and 15. But all of this, he said, I'm about ready to be crucified. Then he gives them a nice little promise. I mean, like the promises of God's word. 
Here's a fresh promise right out of God's word. They'll put you out of the synagogues. You hate the time coming that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Merry Christmas! Now don't be offended. Say, boys, I'm about ready to take off. And the next few days it's going to get nasty. And for you, darker days are ahead, he says. But I'm going to give you the key way to survive these circumstances. Don't get offended. Peter, I'm not talking about with James or with John. That didn't happen. I'm not even talking about Judas. Isn't it amazing? This night, Peter denies Christ. Judas betrays Christ. They all forsake Christ. And none of them were offended with each other. Matter of fact, they find themselves fishing together. And they're having such a great time. The blessed spiritual leader of the future church of Jerusalem is in a pair of shorts. Uh-huh. And when the Lord shows up, he jumps into the water because he, he's got to go skinny dipping so the Son of God doesn't see him dress like that. Tell me that ain't messed up. And John's not offended. You hobo, why did you dress like that for a fishing trip? You know what they're offended about? The perfect son of God didn't do things the way they thought they should be done. And they got offended. 